Welcome to The Dish, the culinary travel podcast focusing on the stories behind world-famous foods. We are your hosts, Tom and Megzi from foodfuntravel.com. Join us for tasty histories, destination food guides, and more. In the first part of this triple tapas episode... The many theories on the origin of Spanish tapas. Eight different origin stories. Plus, what were the very first tapas dishes? All right, everybody, welcome to another episode of The Dish. Yes, hello, hello, hello. It's another Monday, and uh, I'm guessing you guys might be hungry for some more podcasting about food. Hungry Monday? Hungry Monday. Yeah, that could be what it is. Uh, We are back with a feature episode. In this, we are talking about specific dishes rather than just a destination. And, well, our destination is Spain. Lots of different dishes from across Spain because we're talking about tapas. Mm, Everybody likes tapas. There's so much tapas. So, lots of different dishes, but we're going to be focusing on a few of the most famous ones and their histories, as well as talking about exactly what is tapas and how did it come to be and be part of the Spanish culture. I have no idea. I know it it came from Seville, right? Well. Well, There we go. All right. We'll see. I'm sure Seville want you to believe that. And uh, well, yep. More on that later. You will see. So, yeah, very quickly, just in case you've never heard of tapas, which would be crazy, surely. Uh, Tapas are Spain's traditional small plate snacks or dishes. So, small versions, uh, little snacking bits. Yeah, you just get like a whole bunch of little bites and uh, share it all with everybody with a nice glass of vino. Mm -hmm. In fact, the wine is a very important part of tapas culture, as we'll, I think, discuss a bit later on. Um, The word tapa literally means a cover, top or lid. And it's derived from the verb tapar, which means to cover. That's weird because they rarely come with covers. No, but that's not the whole point. The idea, at least with a lot of the history stories, is that the dish itself is used to cover your drink. Ah, so that's I sort of where. But there's actually so many different histories that we're going to have to discuss which ones are right and whether that is the actual etymological origin or if there's a different reason. But that's sort of the most common reason is people put the plate on top of their drink, or traditionally did, or put a tapper on top of their drink, a top or cover, which was food. Mm-hmm. So we're going to go through some of those because there I've actually got eight different histories today. Eight. This is probably the most disputed history with no definite answer. I don't know. Hamburgers was pretty big. Hamburgers was big. We had like five or six in hamburgers. That uh, we mentioned. That we mentioned. There was more people claiming. Five or six good ones. Well, this one, we've got eight completely different stories, or some of them have some similarities, but we shall see. Uh, Tapas as a term has, of course, become popular all over the world to describe small plate dishes. I mean, people have sort of stolen the word and now they'll be like, oh, Vietnamese tapas is like small Vietnamese (laughs) meatballs on a small plate. And it's like, no, tapas, really, the word is derived from Spanish. So if you're saying tapas, it, it should be Spanish. But of course, we've corrupted that in English and we use it all over the place now. 
But in Spain, it is very specifically referring to Spanish tapas. I'm sure there are restaurants that have opened that are like, oh, this is my tapas from Thailand. This is my, just because they're like, well, let's, let's rock on with a word that everyone knows. Yeah, so exactly. Let's it's use that to market some. It's cuisine. just a variation of a theme, isn't it? Exactly. So in Spain, though, tapas is as much about the small plates as it is about the social and cultural aspects of having tapas, going to a tapas bar. In fact, they are all apparently tapas bars. You don't find tapas restaurants, even though you might go to a restaurant where they will serve you some tapas-sized dishes. If you go out for tapas, you're supposed to be going to a tapas bar because it is associated with drinking. It goes hand in hand. And as we'll see when we talk about some of the histories, it was completely part of the drinking culture that this food arose. Drinking was happening before tapas. Well, I think it's a common thing that you see in a lot of different cultures that food and drink sort of go hand in hand, and they, it's this way that they, well, I guess, you know, make sure you don't drink on an empty stomach and end up sloshed. That is part of the story, yes. So, we'll get into the exact details of that shortly. So, yeah, in fact, I mean, you might not find this all the time if you're going to Spain as a tourist, but more traditional tapas bars, they actually would offer you a small tapa with every single drink you order. It's like automatic. You don't have to order it. You don't have to ask for it. I mean, you might be like, oh, when you bring in the tapa, can I please have this yeah. rather than this? Because you know they're going to bring something. But yeah, there are some places where you just have the food brought with the drink automatically. So um, it has now become more common in the 21st century and late 20th century that you buy an individual tapa and that rather than it just being included with the drink, but the traditional style would have been that it was just something you were given for free. Like getting some nuts or crisps on the side. It is, but it's a whole world of better. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, tapas is seen as a pre-meal way to have snacks with drinks before going out for lunch or dinner. So it's not just a, an evening thing. You can have, let's go have a tapas before lunch. Let's have a four-hour lunch. Why not? Yep. Uh, it's typical for Spaniards to eat main meals really late. And that goes for whether it's lunch or dinner. Uh, so bar hopping for some tapas may start around noon if they're doing a lunch thing and then they're going for a late lunch, 2, 3 p.m. or something like that. And tapas in the evening also, like maybe they go out at 6, 7 o'clock and then they're not actually going to go to dinner till 9. Yeah. So it's lots of eating and drinking. I like that. I like, yep. That is like my culture. sort of culture. I like a culture that embraces that. So, getting to try lots of these little bites as you move from place to place, like the whole roaming degustation every single night you go out, that's definitely one reason I love spending time in Spain. And you? Do you enjoy, do you enjoy that? Uh, or, no. I'm good. No. I don't like any of these things we're talking about, wine, and, wine. and food and all that. I've been known to loathe all of it. I find we don't really make it to dinner afterwards. And no. Apparently, everyone does, but I'm like, by the time I've had like five or six tapas. Well, it's like aperitivo in Italy. Like, we very rarely make it to dinner after aperitivo because we stuff ourselves silly. But I also just really enjoy a lot of the varieties of tapas dishes and just having a little bite of everything. And so you get like, yeah, I like using it as a dinner rather than going out for dinner after that. Yeah, I like having lots of different foods, especially for any inner destination for a few days. It just gives us the opportunity to try so many different things yeah. in a short amount of time, which is really cool. So, before I jump into the eight different histories, just a quick roundup of some classic tapas dishes. Now, probably the oldest, oldest tapas dishes are just some jamón serrano or iberico, like just classic some ham. Ain't nothing wrong with that. Or cheeses, breads, and olives. That would have been how it probably started. It became a more elaborate thing after that. But that was just like the absolute basics that are so easy, okay. you don't even have to cook them. 
They're already made. They're just like, let's just serve them. Also, you know, you could put a slice of ham over the top of your drink. And we'll be talking about that a little bit later on as well. Mm. So that's like an easy way that maybe uh, the cover was a slice of ham. That's a big slice of ham. Or is it a tiny drink? It could be a small little glass. Could be what it is. Uh, Just a quick roundup of some really traditional Spanish tapas dishes, just in case you're not sure which is Spanish and which has just become international. Uh, Tortilla de patatas, the Spanish omelette. Bocarones, which is like white anchovies, which have been marinated in vinegar or stored in vinegar. Mm -hmm. So pickled. Gambas al ajio, which is prawns flash fried in lots of garlic with lots of olive oil. That never upsets me. Never a sad thing at all. Calamaris fritos, which is the fried calamari rings. Albondigas, the meatballs mm-hmm. in a sauce, varying sauces, but yeah, meatballs. Patatas bravas, which is the chunky fried potatoes with a spicy sauce. Croquetas, the Spanish croquettes. Uh, pimentos de padrón, which is uh, deep fried little peppers, which we had in, uh, oh, they were we had good. Them in Madrid. They were very tasty. They were so good. Pulpo a la gallega, which I'm pronouncing slightly wrong. Difficult one. Uh, that's Galician-style boiled octopus with potatoes and paprika. Mm-hmm. Which is uh, Galicia is in the northwest of Spain. Sol omio el whisky. Yes, this is pork cooked in whisky, <laughs> or sometimes beef. Uh, tortilla de camarones, which is a prawn cake fritter deep fried. Uh, there is loads more, but those are just like some of the really obvious classics that you'll find in different places. Yeah, stuff to look out for. Yeah, I think most people would have heard of at least like potatoes bravas out of that. That's probably yes. the most iconic one of the and list. Spanish. And Spanish omelette. And the Spanish omelette, yeah, the uh, tortilla, which so, is not a flat taco thing at all. Okay. It's like a big, fluffy, fat omelette. Yeah, in case you didn't get all of those down on your list, because there were a lot very quickly, you can head to foodfuntravel.com slash tapas podcast and all the information from this episode and other suggestions and photos of some of these tasty things we've been eating in Spain, they're all there. Foodfuntravel.com slash tapas podcast. And we're also going to be talking about a few rarer tapas dishes and some of the ones that we've discovered that maybe you won't find on every menu that we really liked. Uh, That'll be in part three of this tapas podcast because this is going to be a big one. There's a lot of tapas stuff to talk about. Okay, let's talk about the history. Because we yes. got a whole bunch of history, a whole bunch of disagreements here. Everyone's uh, like, this is how tapas was invented. This is how tapas was invented. Will right. anyone decide? No. Nope. no. They haven't decided by now. It's never going to be agreed upon. Exactly. So maybe some of these stories are more likely than others. All I've done is I've listed and explained all of the different stories. And then we can sort of discuss as we go along which ones we think are viable or if they're completely crazy. Muy bueno. Bueno, bueno, bueno. Okay, I've named all of these theories. These are my own names. These are not the names that are used in textbooks. (laughs) After reading each one, I came up with a a pithy name to describe it. All right. Theory number one, the oldest theory, as in the first original historic theory, but not necessarily the original that was designed, but the sick king and drunk peasants theory. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, this is the oldest story because it dates back to the 13th century. When the story was created, I don't know, but it's relating to the 13th century. Um, Whilst recovering from a sickness, King Alfonso X of Lyon, Galicia and Castile, because at that point there was no Spain. Mm -hmm. So it was like some independent states around sort of north and central Spain. 
North and Central, where is now Spain. He was only able to drink and eat a few bits and pieces, small quantities at a time because he was sick. So whatever this sickness was, he was obviously getting nausea or something. So he was just having little bites. And apparently because of this, he accidentally created tapas, small plate eating with wine. Oh, so because all the peasants were like, the king's doing it. We should do it. It's like that whole Barcelona thing where they're like, or Catalonia, where they're like, the king speaks with a lisp. So we should all speak with a lisp. It's, Story. Uh, it's a, yeah, a legend that may or may not be true. Yeah. Um, but apparently after dining this way, it wasn't that the peasants actually copied him as such, but the king realized that this would help curb drunken behavior if everyone was forced to eat a snack every time they ordered a drink. So he actually decreed to all bartenders that they must serve some sort of snack with every drink to try and stop people getting drunk. And the bartenders went, Great. Yeah, great. This Thanks, is going to affect King. my bottom line. Yep. Nice one. Because uh, peasants were really poor at the time. Obviously, that's the meaning of being a peasant. It's seemingly that they would normally just go out and drink alcohol and not buy any food because buying food costs money. So he was like, well, if they have to have food because they got no choice and they're going to get it anyway, then this is going to work. There's another variation of this story from another king, King Philippe III or King Felipe III in the 16th century who apparently had exactly the same idea that snacking while drinking would reduce drunkenness and made all the bartenders do it. So it's sort of weird that it's the same story from two different kings, which really undermines its authority. Yeah. So it's like if he had already been doing it, how come this new king was like, I have a grand idea. But then kings do often do that sort of thing like, I've had a grand idea. <laughs> this was my idea. It's like the whole Steve Jobs thing where he notoriously, like people would be like, I had this great idea. And he's like, that's rubbish. And then the next day at the meeting, he's like, I had this fantastic idea. It came to me in a dream. And the person's just like, I hate you. Was that dream called our 2 p.m. meeting yesterday? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Steve. Um <laughs> So, yeah, both stories seem to be more like legends. There doesn't seem to be any specific documentation written down and, like, the king decreed this and it's official decree. Like, the, the documents don't just, they don't just appear. They have not appeared. Yeah. All of these stories are written online, but no one's actually referring to any evidence. But it seems to be a popular story that the king just went, yep, yep, that's it. Have food with all drinks. Otherwise, I'll be upset. So, yeah. And the other thing about this story is it doesn't really relate to the, the meaning of the word tapas. Like, why is it called tapas? It has nothing to do with tapas. It's just small plates. Yeah. So it's possible that maybe the small plate thing was happening back in the 13th century. Maybe a king or someone else said, like, you know, you can have a bit of food every time you order a drink. Don't know. But the actual origin of it being called tapas and becoming a thing as tapas is probably not connected directly to that. Who knows, small plate dining has probably been happening for so long that it's so hard to... It's called being poor. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You eat at home if you're a peasant. All right. The next theory is called the illiterate patrons theory. All right. This theory suggests that in the 18th century, or perhaps a little bit before that, innkeepers and their patrons were generally illiterate, meaning that most innkeepers could not write out menus and no one could read them even if they did write them out. Good point. So instead, innkeepers would take small samples of their dishes and they would like small samples of the main dishes that they had cooking in the kitchen. They would take them around to patrons when they ordered their drink. And then the patron could try a little sample of the main course to decide what main course they wanted to buy. All right. So, and that is something that might have happened just randomly, spontaneously, in lots of different inns around that time. 
But my big question with this crazy theory is why didn't he just tell them what was on the menu? Yeah, exactly. I was, I was just thinking that because it's not like he's going to be creating some far out dishes that these people don't know what they are. I mean, he's not Wolfgang Park. No. So, it's like we have stew. Yeah. It's chicken. It's pork. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, I know Spanish cuisine was actually quite developed even 300 years ago. They are quite ahead of a lot of other countries in terms of early development of interesting cuisines. But still, I mean, I can see that taking a taste test round might be a way to get someone who'd only wanted a drink to go like, hmm, that's really good. Actually, I will buy the food and to make more money. Yeah. So maybe that's one way of looking at it. But the whole because we don't have menus and no one can read them thing just doesn't make any sense. Nah. I would have thought it's much more likely that he was just like, yeah. We want to get you to eat this, to buy a full meal. So we'll give you a little sample. You're going to like it. It's going to be great. So there we go. That's the illiterate patrons theory, mm-hmm. which I'm not convinced by. But no. samples, samples I'm convinced by. If that was what the theory had been, then who knows? Maybe that'd be more convincing. The next one I call the Spanish Inquisition Porky Test Theory. Uh, this one is a little bit off the wall. We talked about this in our Lisbon episode, I think it was, about how the Spanish Inquisition used to try and figure out who was still pretending to be Christian but actually Jewish mm-hmm. by making them eat pork. And if they wouldn't eat it, then they're like, you're Jewish. And then you have a lot of trouble. A lot of trouble. So, a lot of unexpected trouble. Yes. A lot of unfortunate trouble that you do not want. So this is what the porky test theory is. Uh, apparently... They would bring out small serving plates of pork to anyone who was drinking in the bars and anyone who didn't eat the snacks. They would be told that obviously they are Jews because they didn't eat their pork-based snacks and the Spanish Inquisition would cart them off. They would have no luck with the Spanish Inquisition in today's time because it's not just like, I'm not eating pork because I'm a Jew. It's like... I'm vegetarian. I'm vegetarian. I'm vegan. I'm whatever. Like, there's so many other reasons now. Like, they would just be, they would have no hope at all of getting anybody to to admit that they were uh, faking it. I feel this is also why we don't have Spanish Inquisition anymore. Society has changed, fortunately, for the better in that sense. Yes. And people aren't just getting taken away by the Spanish Inquisition because they won't eat pork. Go Spain. Yeah. (laughs) Good good job. Uh, This theory. Uh, it really also has nothing to do with the name Tapa. So, once again, I'm like, well, what has this got to do with the invention of small dishes? <laughs> I don't know. Like, there's absolutely no evidence to suggest that this is real. But yep. a whole bunch of people are like, no, this is definitely one reason. And maybe they were. Maybe they were just like, oh, you're not eating your pork. Off to jail. Off to the rack. I'm going to torture you up. I don't know. And this could already have been going on as well. People were already eating small plates. They were already being brought at bars. And it just so happened that whilst the Spanish Inquisition was going on, they went, oh, well, we're going to keep an eye on the people who aren't eating the pork ones. I think pork also seems like a bit of a fancy thing back in the day to be just given up free with a drink, right? Yeah, but it could be like pork organs, like cheapest cuts. Oh, that's true. Pork ears are really popular, Tapper. Like crispy pork ear. Yep, yep. Pork ears is a good one. I don't know when that was invented. That's not in the, the episodes, but yeah, that's a classic tapas. They, they could have been using anything. Could have been organs. I mean, like yeah, chopped no. up pork sliver. Fair enough. Who knows? Just saying, if, if you know, it's a possibility. Food is coming out. It's like leftover pork from yesterday that's already going rotten. Let's serve that up and get rid of it. The next one is the sandy wine theory. 
All right, continue. Sandy wine. Do you like sandy wine? Not particularly. I don't like gritty bits in my wine. I don't even like sediment, let alone sand. I don't think anyone likes sandy wine. And this is probably true also of King Alfonso XIII, uh, who was actually ruling in the 19th century. So quite a long time after Alfonso X. Obviously, Alfonso wasn't a popular name for a while. He made a visit down to Cadiz in the south of Spain. Uh, spelt Cadiz for us English people who can't pronounce it properly, but I was informed reliably that it is Caddy, which I was informed reliably when I was on a walking tour there. He ordered wine at a local tavern whilst he was visiting, and because Caddy is quite a windy and dusty place, uh, because of all the sand, it's right next to the beach, uh, the waiter served the wine with a slice of jamon on top to stop the sand getting in the wine. Ah. A big old slice of ham, tasty cured ham, and he went, here you go, king. We don't want you to have to drink sandy wine. And the king's like, nice. Because <laughs> that's the sort of thing a king would say, in my opinion. <laughs> He's like, barkeep, nice. Nice. Uh, so, yeah, the king enjoyed having some ham with his wine so much that he immediately ordered another one. And people nearby saw that the king was enjoying ham on his wine and it became the style at the time. Everyone was like, I want a slice of ham on my wine, just like the king. Just like the king. Because I don't want sandy wine. So, yeah, as we said, oh, King's being copied. That's not a bad copied. story. It's quite plausible. Well, this one fits nicely with the idea that it is a top, a tapa, yeah. a top for your wine. So, yeah, this is getting more into the realms of it actually fits with the etymology. But, you know, food might have been served with drinks long before the 19th century, because that seems pretty late. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. But who knows? Who knows? Who knows? The next theory is called the drunk farmer theory. Very simple theory, this one. Farmers like to drink all day, or at least they did back in the 16th, 17th century. Because you can't drink the water because it's Can't drink the polluted. water. Plus, you know, life is harsh and awful. So working why not in drink wine? You why might as well. not? Why not work? Live fast, wine in the die fields. young, because living to be older just means you have to work longer. Yep. It was not a fun time to be alive as a farmer, especially. Apparently, because if they just drank all day, they would not have as much energy and they would just be really drunk. They used to carry snacks with them, so every time they stopped work for a, a sip of wine or a glug of wine, they had a little snack on the side. Now, while this theory is probably just true anyway, because yeah, yeah. obviously you take some food with you if you're going out to drink all day, because otherwise you will be a complete mess, I don't really see that this fits in any way with the whole tapas bar culture, which is where tapas seems to have been... Like, it, it was a bar thing. It's always yeah, seems to have been a bar, a bar thing. thing. Yeah. Every other story in here is related to, like, bars. Yeah. If they have a story where, like, the farmers all sat down and had a picnic, mm-hmm. and everyone had brought their own little thing that their wife had made them, then maybe that might be a bit more believable. Also, this has nothing to do with the etymology of it being the top for a drink. No. So, it's basically, farmers took snacks out with them. So this is probably the worst theory. Yeah. And I was actually surprised to find this one repeated a couple of times. I'm like, Did you even really? think about this before yeah, did writing you, it? Did you consider what, what tapas is and the culture and everything around it? So yeah, they were probably doing that, but I don't think it's got anything to do with tapas culture. Nah. Or the word tapas. So yeah, that one's completely off the list. Really, there's only seven theories here and a couple of them have already been a bit shoddy. So <laughs> hopefully uh, the next couple are getting a little stronger. So here we are. We talked about Seville at the start, Sevilla. Uh, this one's called the Seville Beverage Lid Theory, mm. which is the one theory that you know because it, we were told it whilst we were in Seville. 
Uh, it's said that bartenders in Seville would serve sherry, beer, or wine with a saucer on the top to keep the flies out. But they decided after that, rather than just giving an empty plate, that they would put a little snack on the plate because that would help their bar stand out. I don't have any information about which bar did this first, but just the concept is, well, you start giving people a little bit of free food and word spreads really quick and your bar is packed. Absolutely. How many restaurants have we been to that they've been like, compliments of the chef? And it's like, what? Nice. Bonus food? I love this place already. Yeah, apparently it worked. It became popular straight away because anyone who wasn't giving you a free snack was literally losing all the customers to places who were giving out free snacks. Mm -hmm. And yep, got lots of people through the door. And of course, the side benefit, as we all know, when you're giving out salty olives, salty cheese, salty ham, those salty things, they're going to make people drink a lot faster. Yep, they all be getting thirsty. More sales, all for the price of one slice of cheese. Yeah. It's totally worth it. And of course, this fits very nicely with the tapa top for the drinks. So these little plates ended up being called tapa because they were topping the drinks. And let's admit, there is nothing worse than getting a bug in your wine. No. It is the most annoying thing. I don't know how... Tomo has a really, really special talent (laughs) of always getting a bug in his wine. I I don't know how you do it. Is it fair to call it a talent or is it just some sort of like chronic bad luck with insects? <laughs> I don't know. They just love my wine. Your wine will be empty. I'll have like three swimming in mine. I'm like, <laughs> Are you serious? I need a tapper right now. Yep, definitely. Always, always travel around with your own little tapper and you'll be fine. All right. Theory number seven, the stinky wine theory. Stinky, stinky wine. wine. So apparently this... This legend originates from Castile-La Mancha, which is one of the main states in central Spain, and it started sometime around the 16th century. Tavern owners figured out a way to trick customers into drinking bad wine by placing some very strong flavoured cheese on top of every glass sold, so both the smell and the flavour of the cheese would distract customers from the taste of the wine. No. No? I don't think there's any amount of stinky cheese that's going to, like, stop you from being able to taste the wine. You'll drink it and just be like, it's both crap. You've given me crap cheese and crap wine. Why do I keep coming to this place? No, they're giving out decent cheese. Oh, it's good cheese. It's stinky wine theory, not the stinky cheese theory. Sorry, my bad. The cheese is going to be a nice, like, hard cheese that'll obviously sit on top of the glass. and I don't know. I guess we'd have to put it to the test to see if we had, like... If we had really good cheese and then a pretty average wine and whether or not I would forgive the wine because I love cheese. I would say when you're eating cheese, you don't think as much about how good the wine is because the cheese is distracting. Yeah. I find that. And then you stop eating the cheese and you're drinking the wine at the end with no cheese left and you're like, actually, this wine was not as good as I thought it was. (laughs) (laughs) So I feel like it could be a situation where this could have happened. And they were apparently putting the cheese on top of the glass when they served it. So that would fit with the whole tapper etymology theory. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And of course, it works in the same way as the Seville story that the patrons are getting the secondary benefit of thinking they're getting some free food when actually it's just a trick to sell them the worst possible wine and get rid of bad wine for overpriced. So maybe, maybe, I don't know. I'm, I'm moderately convinced that that could have happened. But maybe these things were happening like simultaneously, stuff was going on. Although like the king with the ham on his 
wine in Caddy was in the 19th century. It's a lot later than the 16th century. It is, which makes me sad because it's kind of my favourite story so far. Yeah, that's a good one, isn't it? It's a good one. Yeah, but I think it, it's a bit late. It's a bit late on for the invention of tapas, I think. I think, as we said, though, the question is, obviously, small plates food was probably happening already. Was it just that the name tapas didn't come around until someone put something on top of their glass? Yeah. So maybe it wasn't until the 19th century that the word tapas was used. And surprisingly, there's like not a lot of evidence of this. Looking through a whole ton of different articles on this topic, and I couldn't find stuff that just went, tapas was written about in 1831 or Well, it's weird because the Spanish are really good with writing down everything. But the, the thing is that almost all of the food you get as tapas is smaller versions of dishes that are written down. So, like, albondigas, the meatballs, of course there's a recipe for the meatballs, but you're getting the tapas serving. Uh... So, the problem is that the recipe books didn't necessarily need to tell you that you could serve it as a tapas, because that's obvious, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I guess that's my theory, that that's why there's not enough written references to the word tapas. No, that makes sense. But, although, maybe it was the 19th century. With that king one, that seems to be a time where perhaps it was actually called tapas. I don't know. This is the weird thing. I researched this for ages and ages, and I couldn't find a written reference that just said, it's tapas. Definitely in the 20th century, there were written references, but before that, Mm. it's just we're having small versions of the dishes or just getting some ham. Okay. So then the two content, like the two running ones is, well, I, I still, as I said, I like the king story, but also the... I know it's weird that he wouldn't just tell people what's on the menu, but him coming around bringing little taste tests seems like it could be kind of possible. These things could all have just been going on roughly at the same time, and no one was really communicating about it particularly. Yeah. But then you think if you go to one city, and like if you go to Seville, and everyone's getting a free bit of snack every time they order a drink, and you're a bar owner from another city, you'd be like, hmm, maybe I should do this as well. So someone had to have sort of come up with the idea, or at least a few people came up with the idea around the same time, and then it spread from there. Yeah. But whoever was doing this, well, if it's an illiterate bartender theory from earlier, (laughs) the illiterate patrons and bartender, then they weren't writing these things down. No, not at all. So, like, yeah, they're all illiterate. So if it came from that story, no wonder there wasn't any written reference. Um, So, final theory, number eight. This one is super, super simple. But I'm going to throw it in anyway. Ocho for everyone playing at home. Ocho. I don't know what the word theory is in Spanish. El theory ocho. I can, I can ask Google. <laughs> it's probably not worth it. All right. This is the most basic theory of all. It's simply that there has been a tradition of really busy tapas bars or bars before they were tapas bars, which would be standing room only. And when customers are just like standing at a little counter and they literally have no space and like four or five little dishes come out, people start putting them on top of their drinks. And then someone was just obviously like, oh, you're putting it on top of your drink, like a lid, like a tapper. Can I have a tapper for my drink? Like, and then it just randomly evolved from that. Just there wasn't enough space on the counter. That does happen. It does happen. Yeah. Because a really busy night, Friday, Saturday night in a tapas bar, standing room only, people are jammed around. You've only got two hands. If you're holding a drink in one hand, you don't even have a counter. You can't hold like two tapas dishes. Yeah. So you just put one on top of your glass. Put it on top of your drink. Yeah. So yeah, the most simple and crazy theory could also be a legitimate contender that people just went, 
this bar's tiny. I need to start putting my plate on top of my drink. And everyone went, oh, that's a good idea. Yeah. Yeah, I'll do that. Yeah, I'll do that too. So maybe, maybe. Mm, tell best, tell best. So that's the eight theories of Spanish tapas. None of them are in any way conclusive. No, but there's a good stories, aren't they? There's a few good stories. They're all good there. little stories, little mini stories. There's no like epic stories. It's just all these, yeah, this guy did it, this guy did it. Maybe some farmers ate some food when they were drunk. I mean, like, come on, <laughs> that one's rubbish. But as we were talking about like the etymology of it being a tapper and being something that's put on top of a drink, I feel like that's really, really important. If that's not included, I don't think it's tapas yet until it's been named. Because we talked about this on the dish so many times. It's not a dish until it's a dish. Yeah. So we said like lasagna, there were versions of lasagna before lasagna was named that weren't really like lasagna. Stuff like that. Yeah, no, I think it's got to be the the dish that we know of as it is today. Yeah, it either has to be identical ingredients, which was then the name was changed at a later date, or it has to have been named. And yeah. because there are so many tapas dishes, I don't think we can say that one of them was tapas. Maybe the ham was the original tapas. We don't know. I could go some ham right now. Mm. You got some Iberico ham hanging out in the fridge? Yeah, I wish we did. Uh, So, speaking of that, I wanted to just quickly talk about tapas in other Latin countries. Because we lived in Mexico for quite a while. And there, the equivalent of tapas is botanas. It's not. The word really isn't the same as tapas. These are snacks that are just served with drinks. And... Salty snacks. It's, yeah. it's with- normally salty snacks. And so bad for you. But- some of them. Some of them are less bad for you. Sometimes they bring out like pieces of fruit with chili on. That's really nice. That's good. But Healthy. like chicharron is so bad for What's you. It's a deep fried chicharron. Not so good. Chicharron is like deep fried pork fat. So like. Yeah. You, so it's you- like pork rinds. Pork rinds. Yeah. It's so naughty. Love it. <laughs> <laughs> when it's done well, I love it. They have some really low quality versions of it. They're like factory made that are awful, mm. but they also have some very nice proper versions. Homemade is good. Uh, these are being served in certain cantinas and bars where the snacks just keep coming. If you order another drink, more snacks come. And the more drinks you order, the more they come. And it's to this crazy point where in some bars, by the time you've ordered like four or five beers, you are getting brought out entire main courses. These are not just tapas anymore. Yeah, we used to do it all the time. It's like that's a whole like, meal. Yeah. Go out, listen to live music, order, a, you know, knew we'd have, it was a hot day in Mexico, so we're going to have at least like four beers, right? And it's like, that is a full feast right there. Exactly. So, to look at this compared to tapas, the style is sort of similar, except you get a bit more for free than you'd expect with regular tapas. It's believed the word botanas is derived from the word bota, which is a wine skin or sort of pouch for containing wine. Oh, okay. So like a, a canteen. So, you know, like old cowboys yeah. carrying like a leather canteen on the side of their horse and drinking water. But this one was specifically for wine. Yeah. Apparently. Or something. Very yeah, I wish I had that. one of them to just carry around with me today, day to day. So this sort of suggests that the, the name is based around the fact that you are drinking something. And you get something with that. The batanas comes with the bota. It's like the extra thing that comes on the side. So it seems like that word appeared independently from tapas, but it basically is the same concept. So you'd think if they'd been using the word tapas since the 13th century, which King Alfonso X in the 13th century, if he was the very first person to invent small plates, 
you'd have thought that word would have just gone straight with the conquistadors and with the whole Hispanic culture into all those countries, and it would be called tapas. But it's not. It's all called patanas. If it was already, that's point. this is my theory because all of the discussions online are about people talking specifically about Spain. And a lot of those commentators maybe haven't been to Mexico, so haven't really thought about this. Yeah. Yeah. If that word was already in popular use by the like 15th, 16th century, then the waves of immigration going across. It would have been introduced somewhere else. It would have still, yeah, it would still been called name. tapas. Yeah. So it like, it took so long for the word tapas to go international. It was just very much a Spanish thing. So it sort of does give off the impression that maybe it wasn't until the 19th century where tapas started to be a word being used, at which point batanas was already being used, probably in Mexico at that point. I don't have a date for when it was started, but it's, it's been around for a while at least. And so, yeah, that might be why. Or it could just be a complete coincidence that they didn't bother making tapas when people moved from Spain. It just seems crazy that no one from Spain went, I'm going to serve tapas. Like they emigrated yeah. and went, nah. No, nah, we don't do that now. We don't do tapas now. We're in Mexico now. We don't do tapas anymore. Like, so somehow it seems to me like the word batanas had already come into play in Mexico long before tapas got popularized and spread from Spain. So that definitely makes me think that there's no way tapas was being used in the 13th to 16th century. I yeah. think it came after that. All right. So that's, that is my theory. And no one else has ever said it so that I know of. So who knows? And yeah, I think I'm pretty much going to rule out any of the theories that don't include it being a cover for a drink because the word just doesn't fit with the dish. So yeah, people may have been eating the small plates. They may have been using it to cover their drink, but it wasn't until they specifically were serving it as a cover that it started going to be called tapa. Yeah. And tapas. So yeah. So that's the eight theories of the history of tapas. Wow. There you go. And the ninth theory, which is not really my theory, but it's just a just an observation that yeah. I think tapas is a more recent invention than people are thinking it is. I think it's a very interesting point that you point out. <laughs> I'll send it to some historians and see what see they what have they to say. Think. Yep. So that's it for part one on tapas. We've got two more parts coming because there is a lot of tapas stuff. So I hope you're ready for some more Spanishy food because uh, I'm we got always ready for Spanishy food. Three episodes in a row on Spanish food, mm. and yeah, I'm not disappointed about that mm. at all. Nom, 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 so in the next episode, we'll be talking about four of the most famous tapas dishes and going into the ones that have some really interesting histories about them. So you can, you know, might be a few surprises about things that you thought was like an old dish, but it's not an old dish. You know, the usual stuff. You know what you get with us. That's yeah. what we do. All right. So, yeah, remember, please rate and review if you've enjoyed this episode. Be on the lookout for the next one coming out uh, two weeks after this. And five stars is the perfect rating for, yep. uh, for our show. Anything less than five stars means you're not really having a great time with the show. So probably listen to something else. There's no point in leaving one and two star reviews because if it's not the show for you, why are you listening? <laughs> doesn't make any sense. It's like, you don't have to listen. How have you, why have you listened to 50 minutes? You got this far you through. This what are you far. doing? Why would you, why would you still be listening? Stop listening. Don't just leave angry one-star reviews that, oh, their voices are really annoying. Those Australians, those Australians, their voices, I don't like them. <laughs> I've never heard anyone say they don't like our accent. No, I think most people like. Now that you have an Australian accent. No, I have a semi-English broken Australian accent. Yeah, you're weird. Sure. All accents are weird. What are you going to do? Yeah. All right. We'll see you on the next episode for Tapas Part 2. 
Thanks for listening to The Dish. Don't forget to subscribe and keep this podcast on the air by giving us a five-star review on your preferred podcast app or channel. Also, come join our foodie community on Facebook in the Food Worth Travelling For Facebook group. Catch you next.